I'm about to hop onto a plane and fly to Salt Lake City, Utah for the Sacramento Kings season opener tomorrow. But before that, it's our final regular season preview with Sacramento Kings television broadcaster Katie Christensen right here on Locked on Kings. You are Locked on Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time, time for another episode of Locked on Kings. Hello and welcome into Locked on Kings, your podcast hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all season long. Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked on NBA for $20 off your first purchase. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I'm a Sacramento sports anchor and reporter for ABC 10 News. And one of my good friends in this Kings media industry, someone who I had the pleasure of working with uh, in radio years ago, who has but been uh, the longtime sideline reporter for the Sacramento Kings and over the last couple seasons is elevated to a spot where she belongs, which is the color commentator on Sacramento Kings broadcasts. Katie Christensen joins me here on the Locked on Kings podcast today. Always excited to talk to Katie. Very fortunate that uh, she could make some time uh, to join me here before she also is going to hop on the plane, except she's going with the Sacramento Kings on the team plane uh, to Salt Lake City, and I'll be on an airline, or I'll be on a flight right behind them just trying to catch up. But it's an amazing time of year. We're so excited. There's so much optimism, but also so much expectation for the Sacramento Kings. Katie and I are, are of course, going to discuss uh, those expectations. Uh, we're going to discuss the preseason and more. Very excited for this podcast and, of course, very excited to get this season going. So please enjoy my conversation with Sacramento Kings television broadcaster, Katie Christensen. By the time you're listening or watching this podcast, Katie Christensen and I will be in Salt Lake City, Utah for the Kings season opener. But right now, before we hop on planes, I'm so lucky to be joined by the legendary Sacramento Kings television broadcaster, Katie. Another season is here. And before we jump into the the, the Sacramento Kings side of things and, and looking back at the preseason and kind of previewing this year, we just had Lindsey Harding give her uh, her introductory press conference yesterday as the new head coach of the Stockton Kings. And you've been a trailblazer in the Kings uh, or just NBA media industry for years from all the years you did sideline reporting to now as the, uh, the, the television color commentator. So I, I wanted to get your thoughts on Lindsay elevating herself to this position. She, she absolutely deserves it. She's worked as a player development coach in Sacramento and in Philadelphia for so many years. Uh, how cool is it for you to see more and more women just, uh, making strides in this industry and, and getting these opportunities, not for publicity stunts, but because they belong there. Yeah. So first of all, I will say that Lindsay is a really dear friend of mine and I'm so incredibly thrilled for her and so happy for her. And she is so deserving. And I, I had the opportunity to sit down with her after her press conference and do an interview for King central. And prior to that, I inter interviewed Anjali, who obviously is in that general manager role for two women to be leading a G League franchise. So I'm super excited to see what they do together. But, you know, when it comes to, to Lindsay, I, I've kind of seen her whole journey, right? She was in the WNBA, obviously, and, you know, was a tremendous college player, a tremendous WNBA player. And then her path to coaching was different. You know, she wanted to be in the front office. She took some different opportunities at the NBA uh, league offices 
um, presented to, to former players. And that's when she kind of figured out that she wanted to be in coaching and that that's where her passion is. So I'm so excited for her to kind of stretch her legs a little bit. And it's one thing to do player development, but it's another thing to be leading a franchise, being the head coach, having that pressure on you, decisions about personnel, how you develop them, all of that. So I'm very excited for her. But in the sense of, you know, uh, the opportunity that she has, not a lot of women have this opportunity. But when you look at the Kings as a franchise, it's it's not that obscure anymore right like you've got me in my role and there's two other women that do it one other that does it full-time in the nba so it's it's not very common and it was kind of a no-brainer for them um because of the time that i've been here and spent and the work that i put in and they trusted in me and my ability and i'm super grateful for that but when you look across kind of all through the king's organization it's not that uncommon for for women to hold leadership roles or prime positions you know you look at matina colicatronis as, as a really big example of that on the business side of things but you know lindsay there was a couple other female head coach or not head coaches but assistant coaches prior to her so what i love about this is that this isn't gimmicky this isn't you know trying to shatter the ceiling for the you know the franchise it's they've already done that and this is just kind of normal business operations for the Kings as an organization. If you're qualified, they don't care. It doesn't matter. And Lindsay is certainly that. She is certainly qualified. And I'm super excited to see what she's able to do and, and what she's able to show from a head coaching standpoint. Well, she's certainly paid her dues to get where she was and or where she is now. And, and you've paid your dues. And I mean that not from the sense of all the games that you worked, but You've been through the majority of, if not pretty much all of the playoff drought that we just got through. And now every single second of it. <laughs> so, so here we are going into a season with massive expectations, the highest expectations certainly we've had since, uh, since the early two thousands. How do you think those expectations are affecting or impacting the team in any way? Or do you think it's, it's not, and they know, uh, the business at hand and they're just approaching it like another season. Obviously, we, we won't know until it plays out, right? But my sense from, from the team and from the staff is it's business as usual. And I know a lot of people kind of look at the Western Conference and shake their head. It's just so brutal. And there's all these predictions. And, you know, the Kings were one of the top teams in the Western Conference last year. And from what I've seen, <laughs> they're like, oh, maybe they'll be a play-in team this year, right? And I, this is kind of par for the course. It's part of being in Sacramento and it's part of being in the Western Conference. It's a combination of the two. And I don't think that the Kings have earned the respect from, from you know, a national perspective yet for people to believe that this is something that is going to continue to go. Um, they, oh, they're not going to surprise anybody this year, so on and so forth. And listen, that narrative, I, I understand why people kind of prescribe to it. But I think at about December last year, I don't think the Kings were were a surprise to anybody. Hmm. Um, you don't have the best offense in NBA league history and, you know, like surprise people when you step on the court in March and April. You know what I'm saying? It's it's, it's so in that sense, I think that they were getting the best of teams kind of midway through the season last year. Everyone knew they were legit. They 
you know, knew that this wasn't just the, the old Kings where you could kind of write in the, the win on the schedule or rest certain players. You can't do that. I mean, you look at just the preseason games against the Warriors and that game in San Francisco and you have Steph hitting a game winner at the very end playing the whole, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, that's a preseason game. You don't see that. That was more of a message sending mechanism in, in my mind of like, a, we know you're legit. B, we respect you. And C, we're going to give you everything we have because we know that's what it's going to take to be able to beat you. So I think this team is very prepared and, and up for the challenge. Um, I do think there's going to be really brutal parts of the season. That's an NBA schedule. They, they travel a lot early. Um, they play a pretty tough schedule early on. You know, you play the Warriors, you play the Lakers, like you're, you're, you're getting a, a pretty legit schedule early on. So the important thing for them, Matt, is going to be how do they come out of the gate? We saw the struggle the last or the first four games last year. But at the same time, this was an entirely new group last year at this time. They have an entire season under their belt, the familiarity with each other, the coaching staff, the system, what works. And I don't think a lot of people remember that it was the beginning of the season last year where DeMontis Sabonis had to talk to Mike Brown and be like, listen, I need you to trust me to put me in these types of positions to handle the ball more, to be a facilitator. And it was a collaborative discussion and they figured it out together. And that was a little bit reminiscent of the, that struggle the first four games. They were still figuring it out. I don't think that's going to be the case at all this year, but I do think that they're going to have to fight every night. I don't think there's an easy game on their schedule. Today's episode of the Locked on Kings podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. All you got to do is put $5 down on a spread or a player prop or an over-under, whatever meets your fancy, whatever catches your attention for any game let or put five dollars down and no matter if you win or you lose you get two hundred dollars in bonus bets so you can ultimately keep playing which is what FanDuel is all about they want you to enjoy the fun that sports gambling adds to the experience of following and watching sports not just go all in lose your money make money and never play again if you're thinking about joining FanDuel now is the perfect time of course all NBA season, they'll have amazing uh, uh, bets and props and side bets and everything uh, that you could possibly want to. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. How do you assess the preseason as a whole? The record doesn't matter, but they go one and four. You mentioned the essentially regular season game that that thankfully doesn't count, but the Kings yeah. and Warriors treated it like honestly game eight of the NBA playoffs. Uh, like right. how how do you assess just the preseason as a whole from uh, just from a, a thousand feet up? I guess I thought it was productive, and I don't pay a bit of attention to outcomes in preseason. And you look last year at. For example, the Portland Trailblazers, if memory serves, they were undefeated in the preseason mm. and they just got brutalized once the regular season started. And I think for the Kings, the preseason really was about getting guys a kind of back into the groove of things, game shape, uh, kind of getting that chemistry rolling a little bit together. But also they have some important new pieces that they needed to evaluate Um and see how they're going to work, how they're going to fit. And, and the best part about it, why I think it's productive, if you listen to what Coach Brown has said recently, he's scratching his head because he has some tough decisions to make about rotation and who's playing. And my goodness, that is exactly what preseason is for. I've been a player 
that needed the preseason to really show my value and highlight what I could bring and earn a spot. And I think that several players did. And to me, that is productive. That is exactly what the preseason is for. And now we, we kick it off. It's the real thing. It's the real deal on Wednesday in Utah. And we'll see how much use they made out of those preseason games. Well, far for me to question the unanimous coach of the year. One of the things that Mike did in preseason that I thought was really interesting, and, and it was DeMontis Sabonis that shared this with us. Mike was intentionally doing everything that he could to make this team uncomfortable. And I think what stood out the most to me was Sabonis sharing that not just in practices, but in games, Mike was intentionally taking away plays that the Sacramento Kings knew worked or that they leaned heavily on in the past because he essentially wanted to simulate like good teams in a playoff series. The Golden State Warriors, they're going to take away things that you love to do or things that you do well and force you to be good and beat them in other ways. That discomfort that Mike is trying to, to place upon the King's shoulders so that they're used to it by the time they start taking on other teams and certainly when they get to the playoffs again. How important do you think that is uh, to the next step for this Kings team? Well, look at that playoff series against the Warriors. What did they do? Those are two teams that know each other incredibly well mm -hmm. with the history between Mike Brown being on that coaching staff and the familiarity with the players. Um, so what did Golden State do? They took DeMontis Sabonis away. They made him as uncomfortable as possible. They made him think it in his head. They backed off of him. They sagged off. And you could see that from a mental standpoint that affected him, right? And what I loved about watching the preseason games is, you know, when that happened to Domas, he immediately, with no hesitation, stepped up, shot the ball. Whether or not he made it or not, there was no thinking. That was the knowledge, the experience of that series going, okay, they're going to play us a bunch of different ways. Now every team saw that seven-game series, and they're going to tinker with how they handled DeMontis and, and De'Aaron come this regular season. And Mike is brilliant. He really is. He, he is a thinker of the game. And the way that he strategizes and the positions he puts his players in, especially during the preseason, to limit them, to take things away. The things that you do well, everyone knows them, right? But they also know the things you don't do well. So limit them, them to those things. And that is just a really great job by Mike and his coaching staff of thinking about the game come March, April, not thinking about the game in October. One of the major storylines, or honestly, the major storyline heading into training camp was Sasha Vazenkov. But over the course of training camp and preseason, it quickly changed to the starting shooting guard position when Mike made that move to give Chris Duarte an opportunity. And, and he talked about, while not directly calling out Kevin Herter or anybody, in fact, he made sure to emphasize it's not just Kevin, it's all of our guards that need to play better uh, perimeter defense. But quickly, the conversation kind of became... Kevin Herter, is he is he losing that starting spot? Is he in his own head? Can he play the defense that the Kings are asking of him? Do you think we made an, a, a, too much out of that over the course of preseason and that was Mike just sending a message and, and, and trying some things out? Or do you think like there's a legitimate battle for that starting shooting guard spot? A little bit a combination of the two, hmm. right? When you look at Kevin Herter and his performance, let's say after the All-Star break, it kind of dipped last year. And part of that is teams having, you know, a playbook on it at this point and kind of knowing, you know, scouting well and knowing how to, to impact him, affect him. But I also think, you know, and this is just my opinion. I don't know if there's any validity to it. I think that Kevin's performance in the three-point competition really kind of 
um, disrupted his mental component of his game a little bit. Um, we know he's a much better three-point shooter than he demonstrated in just the three-point shooting competition. And then it's, it's tired legs. It's a combination of all those things. And so I think that when you look at Kevin Herter and you, people are talking about, oh, you know, Colby Jones, like Chris Durarte, like how, how are you going to, you know, maybe it's time, maybe it's time. Well, think about it from Coach Brown's perspective. We know that Kevin is a productive, valuable piece of this right. team. He has shown it. I think he's proven that over a period of time where you've got to kind of give him his flowers in that way. And every player goes through slump slumps and so on and so forth especially when you're talking about the shooting guard position but you can't if you're mike brown just be like okay we gave him the preseason but now we got okay we got to change this up it's not working because then you really can impact the player's headspace in a way that you're you're eliminating their productivity for potentially a season because you're ripping confidence away. So as a coach, it's not just about who's performing well and X's and O's and all those things. It's so much the mental side of things as well. So I expect Kevin to have that spot to start the season. Do I think that it's solidified that he, he it's his, he owns that? No, I don't think, and I don't think it should ever be that way with anyone. If there's a player and from a player perspective, I've been, I've been in that position where you're a player that's coming off the bench, a role player, and you're producing and you're doing well and you're fighting and competing for a starting position. That's when your team is at your best, mm. right? When there's a legit competition for a starting role. And so it, it's kind of a double-edged sword in the sense that it can impact Kevin on a mental level and it can impact the team because of that, or it can really ignite a really great competitive spirit and it makes your team better. I hope it's the latter. Like I said at the top of the show, today's episode of the Locked On Kings podcast is brought to you by Game Time. This is the number one app for you to buy tickets to whatever event you're going to. Of course, sporting events, if you're buying Sacramento Kings tickets, use Game Time. But also if you're buying tickets to a concert, a theater show, a comedy show, whatever it may be, Game Time is the best app for you. If you're buying a, a seats in like a big stadium, maybe you're going to go see like Taylor Swift at the next massive football stadium that she's playing at, and you don't know what your view is going to look like from your seat. Fan or Game Time has the absolute best angle, not just from your section but from your seat and your row and exactly what you're looking at. They go through uh, all the extra effort to make sure you get as accurate as a view as possible before you even buy your seat. Plus, buying last-minute tickets on game time is never a bad thing. In fact, they have last-minute flash deals for you with amazing prices. And there's also the game time guarantee, which means you always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked on NBA for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code Locked on NBA for twenty dollars off. Game Time. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. There were two guys in particular that really impressed me and stuck out to me in preseason, uh, and I'm going to lump both of them kind of into the same question here. First was. Uh, Colby Jones. I mean, I, I thought he came in for a second round pick. He immediately, I think Mike put it best. Like he's 
made it difficult for Mike or making Mike's job difficult to keep him out of the rotation, which is pretty much all you can ask from a rookie, let alone a second round pick. He just does not play like a rookie. He looks like a solid two-way piece, very much that Monty McNair type of player. So I was really impressed with Colby. I don't know if he cracks the rotation right out of the gate, but he looks solid and looks ready and looks like he can contribute right away to the Kings. The other one is Davion Mitchell. I mean, I'm thrilled by the his shot, the confidence that he has in his shot. It looks much improved. I guess that helps when you're working with Steph Curry's shooting coach during the offseason. Yeah, but he looks, I mean, he looks so good on the offensive end that it looks like we don't have to question anymore. Like, can you keep Davion on the floor for his defense because of the offensive side of the ball? Like, it looks like he can naturally fit on both sides and more Davion on the floor is a great thing for Sacramento's defense. So I'll start with Davion. And I agree, having Davion on the floor from a defensive standpoint is absolutely a bonus. And I know that he has said, like, listen, I know the reason that I wasn't on the floor in some of those critical games in that playoff series was because of my offense. So he's aware, he knows, he's worked on it. But I also don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, when you look at, I believe he shot 60% from three during the preseason last year. See what I'm saying? So there is a, there is a difference. And with shooting, it's about longevity, right? It's about being able to continue to work on that same motion repetitively and to be in the headspace where you don't even have to think about it. And I think the good thing that is on Davion's side is a, we know that he's a worker. He puts in the time he really works at his craft. B I've said this from the moment he came in, when you look at his, the way he lines himself up for a shot, he is, so technically like perfect. He's got his legs balanced. He's got a good base. He goes into the shot the same way. He's not one of those three point shooters that is so elite that they can shoot with their body off balance, twisting all those things. He's very, very technical in his shot. So for me, repetitively and the work that he put in in the summer, that bodes well for him throughout the course of the season. And when you look at, at Colby Jones and defensively, I've always been one of those one of those people that I believe that if you work on the defensive end, you're going to be on the court. You're going to be on the court because it's really hard to keep those people off. And he is not an offensive liability. He has some some really great, you know, confidence actions. He gets into his his shot. He he'll do the dribble pull up. He's not hesitant in any way, shape, and form. And a lot of times when you have a second round pick that you can say that about, it's because they've played longer in, in college, right? They have more of an identity and confidence in who they are and what they can bring. Not to mention the fact, and I understand this too, because I have hundred percent been in this position. When you're a Colby Jones and you're not expected to do great things, it takes a lot of the pressure off you and Mm. it allows you to play so freely that it really helps you make an impact because you don't have the pressure of say a Kevin Herter where you're, it's like, I have to do this. I have to shoot at this level. I have to defend at this level. And I will say when it comes to Kevin and Colby, like, Colby did a great job. And I loved Chris Arte too. His defense is mm-hmm. brilliant. And I, mm-hmm. I kind of implore people to watch when he's on the floor of how he throws his hips over the top of screens, how he fights over. And so much of being successful in this league is the team's ability as a whole to defend pick and roll action. Because mm-hmm. you see screens 
all the time, screens, handoffs, the DHOs, all of those things. And if you can do that on a regular basis, it makes you so incredibly valuable. But that's what Chris and both Colby do well. They battle over the top. But I saw Kevin really working to do that. He got called for some fouls because of it. But it's like, listen, that's also what preseason is for. Call those fouls. Get those fouls. Figure out what is too much and what you need to do to kind of take that next step. So it should be interesting because, to me, there's a lot of talent on this team. And how Monty... Uh, McNair and Wes Wilcox were able to identify players that have things that they don't currently have that can offer that, that can bring that level of competition and push the teammates in front of them. That's overall what you build towards. It's hard to ask for more from De'Aaron Fox than than what he did last season, especially in the clutch. But Mike Brown is going to do it. Mike Brown is going to issue that challenge to him. From your perspective, what is the next step for De'Aaron, or what are you looking for specifically from De'Aaron to to elevate his game even further into like that, that superstar status? Maybe so heavy is the crown, right? And that mm-hmm. will always apply. De'Aaron Fox is our franchise player. He's an All Star, All NBA player. He has now elevated his game to the level of recognition and, and, and even reading what Draymond Green said about the Kings after that series, like leading up to, to training camp this year, he's like, I identify with them. I respect them. He's like, I think that De'Aaron Fox is a superstar. He's mm-hmm. proven that. Mm-hmm. And love or hate Draymond Green, I think it's safe to say most of the people listening to this podcast are in the hate category. <laughs> um, and that's fine. And as a player, to, to, to create that kind of reaction from fans, I guess you're doing your job. Yeah. Um, and so I think for De'Aaron, what is going to, to continue to elevate his game, we know he's the fastest player in the league. I don't think it's a question. He was voted it two years in a row, but what does that mean, you know? I think that he absolutely has proven that. His handles are great. His reads are great. He's working really well alongside DeMontis Sabonis. He knows the system. But also, I love the fact that we used to see fourth quarter Fox. We still talk about it, but it usually came in the fourth quarter. Now it's coming in the first quarter. And he understands that he can get himself going at any moment, but he doesn't need to wait to get himself going. But if someone else is going early and you've got – you know, whether it's Kevin or Harrison or Keegan knocking down shots early, he allows that to, to kind of develop. You want those guys that are kind of the role or periphery players outside of Domas and, and De'Aaron, you want them to build that confidence early in the game because it's valuable for you. But I think what he did well in the preseason is when things weren't going well and shots weren't falling, he recognized that within a few possessions and it was like, okay, now it's my time. I need to get this stuff rolling. I need to get it going. But for me, he will become an absolute elite superstar when he can knock down the three at a higher clip. Mm. And that is the thing. We saw him raise his free throw percentage last year. I want to see that continue to go up. Um, so those are the, the kind of two areas for me, but the, the main focus, the highlight of that being when he can shoot the three because of this day and age in the NBA at a higher clip, it completely changes his game because already when people are playing off of him, he's still able to blow by them. Mm-hmm. Imagine what it will be like for him and what it creates for his teammates when they have to play up on him all the time. Is Keegan ready to step into that third leading scorer, but at times second leading scorer role, you think? 
I do. I do. He's I'm I love Keegan in so many ways. Um, <laughs> what he did as a rookie really being the fourth or fifth option was spectacular. Mm -hmm. And what I loved is every time Mike Brown challenged him, he answered. He challenged him to be more than a scorer, start rebounding the ball. What did he do? He went out, got seven, eight rebounds. Then it was like, be more of a playmaker. Then he starts facilitating for others. Then we started seeing him as the season went along and his confidence was there. And he was had more you know, faith in his, in his ball handling capabilities. He put it on the deck, one, two dribble, pull up, mid-range shot. Beautiful. He reads things well. He, you never can speed him up. You're not going to put him under the type of pressure where he's going to make a lot of mistakes. And so he put on about 10 pounds of muscle. I talked to him on media day and was like, hey, you, you look like, you know, you, you bulked up a little bit. And Keegan with it, yeah, yeah, you know, I've been in the way room, you know, but it's like that shy smile. But I think that his confidence and more important, his comfortability in, in, in the team, in the NBA, um, he's blocking shots. Like, come on now. Like he, <laughs> he actually does a good job in outside of coming over to help protect the rim. He's got great length and great size. I think we're just going to see him continue to blossom and grow. And I do believe this. I think what we saw in his rookie season is really just scratching the surface of what he's capable of. Finally, Katie, it begins tomorrow in Utah against a Jazz team that you can't take lightly. They have a lot of talent on that team. Of course, the expectation should be that the Sacramento Kings win that game, and rightfully so. You mentioned earlier how important it is for this team to get off to a good start. Then you get to this weekend where they got the Warriors Friday, the Lakers Sunday. I mean, hit the ground running, get ready to go. What are you expecting or looking for specifically uh, from this game tomorrow night against the Jazz? I think the start is going to be really, really important, right? And I think that when you're coming off a preseason where, you know, you, you won one game, so what, who cares? But also from a player perspective, you're like, okay, enough of this. You know, I know the games don't count, but no one ever likes to lose at this level, even when it doesn't count. Mm -hmm. So I'm really hoping that they get out to a really good start. I want to see marked improvement on their defense. Utah was a team that played them incredibly closely all last year. And that's that's cool. That's fine. There's been some changes on their roster as well. And, you know, you look at Larry Markkinen and he's been, you know, in the military all offseason. So I'll see what, what that brings for him. But um, no, I mean, and then you face the Lakers. So to me, it, it's about how you start games and the level of mental focus and how prepared you are going in. Because we saw last season, yes, they were still getting used to each other. I just didn't think the focus was there early on. And it's going to be about how you respond to runs because every team that they play to start this season, you look at the first week, they're going to be super hyped to play the Kings. It is a message. It's important. You know, it's opening night for, for the Jazz on their home floor. So that adds another level of where it gives the home team a, a little extra boost just because of the adrenaline, the excitement, the pulse in the building. Um, but I want, I want such a business as usual approach for the Kings. I don't want them to get lost in moments. I don't want them to get lost when a team goes on a run and, and let it bury them. And they're forced to be down, you know, 15, 17 points and have to mount a comeback. Like enough of that. Like let's really show that you have the mental capability and focus to withstand whatever people are going to throw at you from the get go right out of the gate. 
Well, Katie, it's going to be hopefully a fantastic season. Going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait to not only watch Kings basketball return, but to see you back on the broadcast for every single game. Uh, It's going to be hopefully a good year and it it gets started tomorrow. So I'll, I'll see you in Utah. Thanks for joining me. All right, Maddie. And hey, congratulations on your new role and yay, traveling. Look at you big time. (laughs) I'm just trying to follow in your footsteps. You know that. (laughs) Huge thank you to Katie for joining me here on Locked on Kings before she heads out to Salt Lake City, Utah. And now I'm headed out to Salt Lake City, Utah. You can join me on the post-game episode of Locked on Kings tomorrow after the game, hopefully after a Kings win. Very excited to get this season going, and I hope you will join me all season long, whether you've been with me uh, for the years or last season or the offseason or if you're brand new, whatever it, may, uh, whatever it may be. Thank you. Welcome. Let's have some fun and enjoy this ride together. Yes, there are high expectations. Hopefully the Sacramento Kings will meet them, but it's an exciting time. The most excited I've been going into a King season period. And that's saying something because those of you who have been with me a long time know how optimistic and fired up I am, period, for Kings basketball, whether the team is a 50-win team or a 25 or 30-win team. But they're not going to be that this year, right? They're going to be good, and I can't wait to watch it get started in Utah tomorrow. Until then, my name is Matt George. Thank you so much for listening. You have been listening to the Locked On Kings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.